Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. The only way to score is, of course, to play uh, with a handbrake off. Hello and welcome to Handbrake Off, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic. I'm Ian Stone and over the next 40 minutes or so we're going to take a closer look at all our many new January signings and how Mikel Arteta plans to integrate them into our squad. Uh, Which is the intro I'd written a few days ago in the what now turns out to be forlorn hope that we'd strengthen the squad in our bid for the top four. But as things turned out, we only made a couple of signings and one of them, actually both of them, don't arrive until the summer. Uh, All the same, myself and the guests will talk about the new players and the depth of the squad, what it means for the remainder of the season and also in the long term. Uh, We're joined this week by James McNicholas and Adrian Clark. Uh, Morning, guys. Hello. Morning, Ian. Morning. Before we get into the meat of discussion, a general question to open, uh, which is to rate January out of 10. Uh, by the way, uh, out of both domestic cup competitions, lost one league game we deserve to draw, at least. Drew one we probably should have won and then failed to bring in any reinforcements, but did get some players who were surplus to requirements off the books and also possibly one who wasn't, but we'll get to that. Uh, Adrian. January out of ten. <laughs> I wanted James to go first. <laughs> it's it's it, look, it's impossible given the fact that we're we're sort of six players down and on what we were and uh, and we don't have any exciting newcomers to join us for the rest of the season. It's it's impossible to grade it highly. So I have to give it a four. I, I do four. think it's a positive. <laughs> I, I genuinely believe it's a real positive that we've had this clear out of the fringe players. We've freed up a lot of cash to hopefully spend on, on wages in the summer. It was overdue. We had to do it. But the bottom line is, and we all know this, we've left ourselves very light for the second half of the season. On Aubameyang, I think it's positive that he's left because hold that thought hold that <laughs> thought i mean okay, okay. yeah because right. we'll, yeah, we'll do a we'll, we'll really talk we'll, about we'll, we'll go at length on well. that yeah now i do think largely it's positive that, that that he's left but i'll explain why um a little bit later on but yeah i i think we i can't go any higher than than four because we are actually weaker than we were and 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 that's a source of you know disappointment really James, you were nodding there. I thought four was generous, to be honest with you. What are you saying? I was going to go three, I have to say. Yeah, just slightly <laughs> undercut Adrian there. I, I think I agree about the clear out. I think there's a positive dimension to that and finding takers for some of these players. Even finding a taker for Aubameyang is a, a coup of sorts, given the salary he was on. But the bottom line is, is the squad stronger than it was on January 1st? I don't think so. I think it's weaker, um, and that is a, a concern. Certainly, I, I I don't think it's quite the point where it's you know season over. We might as well all stop watching. I think the group of players who got us to this point are pretty much intact, but we haven't had the boost 
that we hoped might kind of propel us into the second half of the season. So I'm going to say three. What about you, Ian? You know what? Man City at home and Liverpool away in the Carabao were positives. They definitely were. I'll give them a couple each. But as you say, losing, um, not so much losing the players we lost, but not finding replacements is uh, pretty big ne- negative for me. Uh, so I'm saying two. <laughs> I really, I, I mean, it was... I was expecting someone. I mean, we were just talking before we went on air about uh, Alexander Isak being um, followed around London into Selfridges in his, uh, no doubt, ridiculous car with his ridiculous number plate. Uh, he just was going shopping, right? This is what you uh, you heard. Yeah. Um, what were the ins what and outs? Arsenal should have been doing, really, ideally. Well, well but... quite. What were the ins and outs for Isak? <laughs> I mean, a nice pair of, uh, probably a T-shirt for about 400 quid or something ridiculous. That's what footballers do nowadays. Um, anyway... Anyway, uh, I'm sure you'll have your own views, uh, listeners, to uh, uh, the January and how it was. But it is what it is. We are here. Um, you can read all about Arsenal's transfer window over on The Athletic. If you're not yet a subscriber, then head to theathletic.com forward slash Arsenal pod and you can, you can get yourself a third off a subscription. Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang was the centre of a dramatic deadline day saga which ended with him joining Barcelona on a free transfer from Arsenal. January and the transfer window. Should we start with who we brought in? Um, James, what can you tell us about Austin Trusty? This is a left-sided <laughs> defender from the Colorado Rapids. I was going to say, you know, all this talk of we haven't signed a senior player. What about 23-year-old Austin Trusty coming in from the Colorado Rapids? Um, I think this is a deal that has a lot more to do with KSE kind of uh, creating networks between their different franchises, as they would term them. They've been talking about wanting to bring a, a Rapids player into Arsenal for some time. There's been a number of them over on trial over the past few months. I don't. I highly doubt we'll ever see Austin Trusty in an Arsenal shirt. I think it sounds like he's going to be loaned out within Europe with a view to him eventually getting a move into Europe, probably elsewhere. Um, it was telling, I thought, I may be wrong about this, but I don't think Arsenal tweeted this news no. yesterday. I think they no. feared the backlash from this announcement. Uh, and understandably so. I, I, I think, with all full respect to Austin Trusty, who apparently has had a, a very good season, this feels a bit more like a, a corporate exercise than uh, a genuine squad-building move. <laughs> OK. What about Matt Turner from the uh, the uh, goalkeeper? Adrian, do you know anyone about anything about this guy? He's from I, I New England don't. Revolution. Yeah, I genuinely don't. No. I don't have time to watch MLS football, unfortunately, what with everything else going on in my life. So so I, I haven't got a lot to offer on that one. Hopefully James has. All, all I'll say is that, that Bernd Leno will inevitably leave. He he needs to go and, and be a first choice somewhere else, doesn't he? So so it's it's sensible, I think, to 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 plan ahead and to bring someone in that can can be a backup to Aaron Ramsdale. Quite. Um, I, we did see Burton Leno, didn't we? Um, James out in Dubai chatting to Manuel El Munia. Hopefully not getting tips or anything. It's not but... quite the same as David Seaman coming down to London Colney, I think it it's isn't. fair to say. It is. But uh, also some worrying video of uh, Aaron Ramsdale and Burton Leno practicing their shooting, which you know might be the, the solution to the striker problem, <laughs> we shall see. But uh, uh, Matt Turner is quite an interesting player. I mean, I think he was undrafted coming out of college and he's turned into a US international. It's been quite the story. 
He's done a lot of work with Kevin Hitchcock, who you may remember from his time with Chelsea in the 90s yes. in the Premier League. He's the goalkeeper coach who's worked with him at New England most closely and has kind of overseen his development. He's a massive advocate of Turner. He's a brilliant shot stopper, I think, in terms of you know the number of goals he's prevented in statistical terms. He's outperforming everybody else in MLS. Incredibly athletic, brilliant reactions. The, the question really is how far he can come with the other aspects of his game. Um, particularly with his feet. That's been uh, a yeah. weakness of his. And I think that's what makes it an interesting signing from an Arsenal perspective. Admittedly, there were question marks over Aaron Ramsdale's use of his feet prior to him signing for the club. So maybe he will blossom in similar fashion. But, you know, this is an international goalkeeper, someone with plenty of experience uh, who comes in. I think interesting as well that he's a bit older than Ramsdale. You know, when you've got a first choice who's 23 having a guy who's 27 coming in to play backups probably helpful. I don't know if you want an even younger guy playing second fiddle. You want someone who's been there and done it a bit. So it's a deal that I can see the sense in. And I think good to have one of the jobs for the summer ticked off because there's quite a number now piling up that are pretty significant, as I'm sure we're going to talk about. Quite. Well, why don't we start with who we've let go? I mean, Sao Kalasinac had his contract, contract terminated by mutual consent. Uh, he's gone to act as a minder for Guendouzi and Saliba at Marseille, <laughs> no doubt. Uh, Dayan Iliev uh, also had his contract terminated. Uh, wrote some nice things, I thought, on uh, on social media about the Arsenal. Uh, some have gone out on loan. We know about Flo Balogun to Middlesbrough, Pablo Mare to Udinese, Ainsley Maitland-Niles to Roma and Carl Hine uh, has gone out alone. I'm not sure to where. And Callum Chambers was sold to Aston Villa. Uh, Adrian, we'll start with you. Are you going to miss any of those players? I mean, I mean, obviously there are certain. Now, I, I don't mean that in a bad way. We Callum Chambers was a very likable guy, and there were a couple of moments when he did well. But none of them, and I include Ainsley in this, as much as people wanted him to stay. None of them were really getting regular first team football, and we're not going to miss them. No, I don't have an issue with, with letting them go. Not at all. Carl Hines gone to Reading, by the way, um, where he's sort of fighting for the number one number one jersey. Um, the, no, I think for Flo Balogun, it will do him the world of good to play in the championship and, and to sort of toughen up for Middlesbrough. And he's he started OK. He's only been used off the bench so far, but but I think it will it will benefit him in the long run. And I, think, I think all of those players were surplus to requirements. The one that I find strange, even though I feel his long-term future is, is certainly away from Arsenal, is Ainsley Maitland-Niles. Given how light we are, given that we were willing to sell Callum Chambers to Aston Villa, I feel that um, we could have done with him as, as a backup at right-back, um, possibly ahead of Cedric. And, and so, Because there are, there are currently, obviously, injury concerns over Tommy Asu, which only leaves Cedric... So I would have liked Ainsley to have stayed. He would also have been back up in central midfield, of course, and we're really light in, in that position as well. So that's the that's the head-scratcher. It's great for Ainsley. It's good for, for Roma, for Jose Mourinho, but, but for Arsenal, I don't really see the benefit there of that, other than the fact that Ainsley might have been moping around the place, um, you know, being unhappy at not being involved. So that's the only one I'd quibble. The others all make sense to me. James Ainsley did have a, a bit of a mope about him, didn't he, really? But, you know, really useful. I hesitate to use the phrase utility player, but that's essentially what he was. And 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 it was, especially as we let him go at the beginning of the window, and then we obviously had our, our you know, problems with sendings off and injury and what have you. Um, 
I will miss him and I was still hopeful about him last season, but I guess he's the one that people might have a few regrets over. Definitely. And I think, you know, he's gone to Roma on loan uh, with no fixed purchase option there. And I think part of Arsenal's reasoning there is thinking he could do pretty well there. He could really increase his value. I don't necessarily see him coming back, but this could be a player who, if he performs in Serie A, uh, you know, has some weight on the transfer market come the summer. It's an interesting one, Ainsley. I mean, I think if he had gone in the final week of the window, I would have had less of an issue with it. It's the fact that he went so early and you can't help but feel maybe it did hurt us in January with the suspensions that we had with Mohamed Elneny off at AFCON as well. Um, But in general, for the most part, I don't think those players will be hugely missed. I mean, with the exception of Aubameyang, it's only really Ainsley, I think, who had featured in the Premier League. I think he'd had two starts and the, the rest hadn't started since the Man City game back in August um, or hadn't started at all. So I don't think those sort of fringe players going is a problem. I think it's good. Arsenal have been carrying these people on the wage bill for too long uh, and this rebuild process had to happen. It is happening. Both, In fact, last January as well was another instance of us kind of shedding players, um, admittedly without recouping a transfer fee for many of them. And, and that would be a point of some concern. You know, Arsenal cannot continue to give out contracts to players and then not get anything back. It's not really sustainable. I think to a certain extent, we're still paying for the mistakes of the past in terms of deals that we've handed out to players that we've not been able to get other clubs to inherit, certainly not inherit while also paying a fee. Um, It is really, I think, the Aubameyang one that obviously is going to be the subject of most debate and most interest and (laughs) and that's probably going to be talked about multiple times between now and the end of the season. You know, you do fear that every time... Arsenal failed to score a goal or every time he sticks one in the net for Barcelona, uh, this debate is going to rear its head again. All right, well, let's get to it now then, (laughs) because that is the elephant in the room, really. Um, He... um off he went to Barcelona. It's not actually totally clear whether he just turned up there because his dad owns a flat, right? I, 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 this is the piece that you wrote, uh, James. Uh, Aubameyang's move to Barcelona, a high-stakes gamble for Arteta's Arsenal with no replacement to hedge the bet. Um, Adrian, I mean, all we've got at the moment up front is three goals from uh, Lacazette and none from Enketia in the league at all. Those are our forwards. I mean, you could say possibly Martinelli will go in there, but it's it's a str- it's a strange move, isn't it? I know that things are broken down between between him and Mikel Arteta, but to to buy him in for whatever we bought him sixty million quid a few years ago, to give him away for nothing to Barcelona, I know we're saving on the wages, but it doesn't seem like there was a lot of forethought with this move. <laughs> well. He played his last game, didn't he, on December the sixth? So there was, a, there was plenty of time, really, to if, if yeah. the plan was to to offload him in January, plenty of time to to get a replacement. So that that is disappointing. I think that that yeah, if you're going to ostracise a player and, and and effectively force him to leave the club, then then it would make sense to to line up a replacement. But but it didn't happen for for whatever reason. Do you think that's what's happened? That they've basically, I mean, in the end, basically frozen, uh, Mikel Arteta has frozen him out and basically we'd like you to go if we can find someone willing to pay your yeah, wages. Look, my personal opinion is that if 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 Pierre-Emerick had had been sat on 10 or 12 Premier League goals, 
when when he he breached the discipline and when when he upset everybody by by being late then then would this be the outcome i i just don't believe that would be the case i i think that the manager has maybe realized that at 32 his better days are behind him can't really find a place for him in the starting 11 you can see with his own eyes i think we could all see that with Lacazette up front it was a better platform for the likes yes. of Saka, Smith-Rowe and Erdegaard to, to go and do their thing. So I think in many respects, it, they seized the opportunity to get him off the books and, and to save, you know, 18 months worth of very, very high wages. And, and, and from a business point of view, it makes sense to do it. I, it doesn't sit great with me because I've seen it happen to players where they've been ostracised and, and, and effectively forced forced to leave. And, and it, it's not great. For the dynamic in the dressing room, it's you know you got one of your mates that's sort of suddenly out of favour. It's it's not nice, but that is you know football's a brutal, ruthless game, isn't it? And and if if Arsenal felt that yeah. was the right way to move forward, they they seized on the moment, I think. And um, and in the end, they did well to find a club that was willing to to, to take him and to to give him the contract that that he wanted, you know, in order for him to leave the club. So so yeah, in the in. Yeah, in the end, it's the right outcome for the dressing room because because well, you, you can't have a player like that, a player of that stature, someone you know who's well respected for his for his career. You can't have that player loitering around, being unused because it just festers, and he he had to be shipped out once the manager made his mind up. Yeah, I mean the the, the point that Adrian raised there. Uh, James, about the fact that it, the, the mates in the dressing room find it difficult. I don't think that's the case here, really. As soon as he was out of the team, Arsenal really started performing well, didn't they? Yeah, well, I mean, who's his big mate in the dressing room? Alex Lacazette, and he's not looked like a player who's been sulking. Uh, no. Not remotely. I, I do think that it's interesting. I mean, I said to somebody yesterday, in a way, Arsenal have avoided what happened with Meza Ozil, which obviously dragged on for a very long time. And, and that person said back to me, well, in some respects, it's, it would have been worse than Ozil because Aubameyang had been the captain. I think there's a very good case that he was uh, the most important player on the team in the relatively recent future. And I think having him excluded on the sidelines could have become very toxic. Yes. So as much as, you know, I say, well, we'll be talking about it every time Arsenal don't score or every time he scores for Barcelona... If he was sat there in the stands or, you know, training on his own at Arsenal, we'd probably be talking about it even more. So I think it is a healthy thing. And personally, I agree with Adrian. It's Again, it's just my conjecture. But I I think there was a sense of opportunism about Arsenal in this situation, thinking, look, we've given this player a contract. It's not panned out. He's not really performing to the expected level. It looks like a mistake. We have an opportunity here to liberate ourselves from this situation. And I wonder if Mikel Arteta partly took that stance thinking, well, not only will it get Aubameyang off my hands, it, it, it might even get me a striker in January, which would really accelerate all my plans. I wonder how much he thought if we take this position, it might bring things forward, accelerate things, bring in a striker. I mean, ultimately, when you take such a strong stance, you can't row back on it, even if it tr- turns out that that striker's not going to be arriving. So it, it leaves him in an interesting position now where I think it's less than ideal, certainly, to be without a Bamiang. But I do, 
when people say, oh, it leaves us with Lacazette, he's got three goals and Ketia's not got a league goal, I do think that is a little bit disingenuous only because of the value that Lacazette brings in terms of creating opportunities and chemistry in the attacking front line. And really the system that Arsenal play, we're not looking for goals from one player. We're looking for goals from the likes of Martinelli, Saka, Smith Rowe, maybe, hopefully, Nicola Pepe if he's reintegrated to some extent. <laughs> and and I and I still think that that is a group that has goal scoring potential. I don't doubt it would be helped by a true number nine who could score 20, 30 goals a season. But uh, I haven't quite abandoned hope because I have real belief in in that group of young attackers as well. On, on Eddie Nketiah, he's only featured, of course, for, for 51 minutes of the Premier yeah. League season so far. So he's yes. not somebody that Mikel Arteta has wanted to use until until this point. So it, <laughs> Alexander Lacazette is going to get a lot of game time, I would imagine. Well, assuming and, he stays fit. Well, assuming it, it, he stays fit, that's really, the gamble, because... isn't it? And, and and does Eddie offer the same hold-up play, the same you know, the, the same qualities as, as no. Lacazette? Not really, not really is the honest answer. So, so if Lacazette does does get injured, then then we're going to have to try something new. I'm not averse to seeing Gabriel Martinelli go up front and have a run there. Um, he would obviously have to play that role in a different way, play it in more of the Aubameyang style where, where he's looking to drift on the shoulder of the centre halves and, and make those runs in behind because he's not a hold up player. Um that that will be our plan B I would imagine rather than rather than using using Eddie because fifty one minutes is, is quite a telling statistic really. Yeah, no quite well okay. Uh, we'll get to how we line up uh, in a second. Um just a little appreciation uh, for Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. 128 games, 68 goals. Uh, won the FA Cup for us. Dragged us, really, into the Europa League. Um, and, and you know, I, I, I'm glad it hasn't ended in, in, in just in bitterness and rancour, James. Because that's certainly the way it went with Ozil, who there were a couple of magical moments from him. But... Um, it didn't quite work out how we wanted, but as you say, maybe it was ex- it, it, forgetting the fact that we didn't get a replacement in. Maybe it was exactly the right time to to let let uh, let him go. Maybe I mean, of course, when a player leaves like this, there's always a shame that they don't get an opportunity to kind of say goodbye to the fans or, or anything like that. And he had a, a really good connection with the supporters. I do think, for the most part, the signing of Aubameyang was a, a major success. I mean, he came in as an established star, absolutely hit the ground running. Um, I think he showed he could score goals playing off the left, playing through the middle. His efforts to win us that FA Cup in 2020 were, you know, Herculean. You know, they were extraordinary. I mean, the goals in the semi, the goals in the final. It's hard to beat that, really, as a contribution to a trophy. Um, It really will be remembered for everything he did in the run-up to lifting it and then probably for him dropping it immediately afterwards. <laughs> but he, uh, I, I thought he was a fantastic player, great character. And yeah, I, I certainly will uh, miss, uh, I'll miss the Aubameyang at his best. When he was at his best, you know, I think of, was it 4-2 at home against Tottenham Hotspur where he was just absolutely flying that day. And when he was really motivated and really connected to the team and really on top of things athletically, it was a pleasure to watch him and no doubt in my mind he's a supreme goal scorer, someone who's really adept at finding those positions in the box and and tucking chances away. So, 
yeah, uh, he, he's, he's been a, a very good player for Arsenal and a good signing. And, you know, it's a shame they got nothing back in terms of a transfer fee. I don't think it was ever realistic given what they were asking another club uh, to pay in terms of salary. Yeah. But I still think there's a case that he provided value. I mean, he brought pretty much guaranteed goals for several years in succession. And although things fell away and he's faded as a player over the last 18 months or so, that shouldn't be forgotten. Yeah, I mean, you get 50 quid for playing in the Europa League, didn't you? If you get to the later stages. Well, so that's yeah. uh, that, that's pretty good. Um, I mean, even earlier this season, Adrian, I remember you came on the podcast after the Leicester away game when we won. And I was saying one of the things that excited me about that team that day was I remember in the warm-up, uh, Aubameyang looking really pumped and ready to go. And straight away I thought, oh, he's on it today. You could just see in his body language. And he, and he was a really big part. I don't know, I can't even remember if he scored that day, but... You know, we went 2-0 up and then it was the Aaron Ramsdale show. But he could and did often make a difference in our team when he was on his game. It was fantastic. He, he scared defenders witless with, with, his, with his speed in behind. Coming in off the left was where I liked him best. I think that he was absolute dynamite making those out-to-in runs and, and then just guiding the ball into the far corner. That's, that's the finish I'll always remember from Aubameyang. When he arrived, he was known for the one-on-ones and little dinks over the goalkeeper. That was what that was his sort of trademark at, at Dortmund. He did it, I think, very early on in his career a few times. But as time went by, he was more he was used more often on the left. And he, he at one point he was the most dangerous left-sided forward on the planet. There's no doubt about that. And we had him, and and other teams were were frightened of him. And and during that run, which is such a shame, there were no fans. To see Aubameyang in those semi in the semi final, the final of the cup, because they were truly heroic performances, Herculean, as, as James says, and I think that they they might have been elevated even more by by the presence of, yeah. of supporters there. But um, yeah, no, he was a brilliant player, brilliant, and um, we it was it was a delight to watch him. But looking back, <laughs> did we ever really try and find a true role for him? I'm, I'm not. Not quite sure. Um, certainly not in the in the latter years or the latter, the last eighteen months or so. No. Um, so we know what we've got. The lineup against Wolves in whenever it is ten days time when we come back. Um, I ask you both of this. I'm assuming that we all agree that Ramsdale, Tierney, White, Gabriel, uh, Tomiyasu, Partey, and Xhaka are in the team. Who's the front four? James, for you, how does it? How do we start in that game? Uh, well, I think it's a tough game for a start. I think Wolves are a very it decent is. team, very organised. They don't concede a lot of goals, and they're very close to us in the table. I think the front four for me, I would stick uh, the first two on the team sheet for me in terms of that front four would be Lacazette and Odegaard. I think getting them close together in central areas is key for this Arsenal team. Um, Saka. Picks himself on the right. And then I think it's a, a toss-up between Martinelli and Smith-Rowe. I think I would just give Martinelli the edge. I know it sounds so harsh given all the goals Smith-Rowe's contributed, but he's shown himself to be so dangerous in the last half hour, 20 minutes of games. In a way, he's kind of done himself no favours there. Um, I would just edge for Martinelli, but I think either of those two would make a great impact substitute. So I, I would stick with, with Lacazette and continue with that shape. 
I'm having the same team as uh, James. Adrian, what about you? Um, I yeah, it's hard to argue against it. I probably would go with with Smith Rowe, um, because it's an away game, and I think that that Smith Rowe is offers a little bit more without the ball and, and can travel beautifully with it, can't he? On on those counter attacks, it's it's a fifty yeah. fifty call. I'd be delighted to see e- either line up in the starting eleven, but Smith Rowe is our top scorer. Smith Rowe, we we need goals in that starting eleven, don't we? I'm not saying that he he will um, that he's a better finisher than Martinelli necessarily, but but he's 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 delivered, hasn't he? This season, Smith Rowe. So I'd probably edge for him, but but you know it's a genuine fifty fifty call. Erdegaard is playing well enough, I think, to justify keeping his place. I think in the in the, in the last game, he's one of our better players. So so I wouldn't I wouldn't be leaving him out, but but in the in the long term, I think. Smith Rowe or Odegaard might be might be how Arteta lands in, in terms of who plays in behind the striker. Yeah, I mean, let's be let's be fair. There's not a huge amount of choice, is there? Really, it's those <laughs> and Pepe if he comes back fit and firing uh, from Afcon, which uh, he was doing pretty well at. Um, we're going to talk about trust uh, in part two of the uh, podcast. This is Handbreak Off, uh, the Arsenal podcast, brought to you by the Athletic. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX's Welcome to Wrexham, all new, Thursdays on FX, stream on Hulu. We were a bit uh, with the handbrake at time. OK, Ian Stone here with James McNicholas and Adrian Clark. Uh, we've been through all the uh, <laughs> ins and outs of the transfer window. Uh, let's talk about trust uh, as well. James, you wrote a piece with Amy. You said about after suffering for so long from an absence of a long-term plan, Arsenal will now be accused of following one to a fault. Hmm. I mean, as you said just before... You know, they're, they're, they're clearing out the deadwood, and there was a tremendous amount of that, was one of the major things that had to be done. Um, we didn't think it happened this quickly, and there wouldn't be as many replacements. But, you know, job done as far as that is concerned, isn't it, really? Yes, I think that was a big part of the plan. And I think, in a way, not bringing somebody in shows an adherence to the plan. If Arsenal couldn't land their premium targets they're you know very top targets they didn't want to compromise and they didn't want to commit to a player who you know wasn't part of their future as far as they could see it you know an interesting case study is the Arthur loan uh, Arsenal wanted to take him for six months Juventus said you can have him for 18 and Arsenal withdrew from the negotiations because that wasn't part of the plan 
And I do think that is a kind of interesting paradox that for a long time we've wanted Arsenal to have that sort of long-term view and that kind of uh, grand plan for recruitment and squad building. And yet this January... um, (laughs) <laughs> it feels like that it feels like you know we could have done with them breaking it to uh, to get a quick fix in and i do wonder if some of that is our natural anxiety as supporters you know if we were running the club maybe maybe we would be able to sort of sit back and take that more considered perspective maybe when the summer comes around and arsenal you know, spend big and get the players they actually want and in august they've got the team they envision then Maybe this will all feel fine, but we can't help but worry about where we are and worry about the opportunity that's in front of us and whether we're going to miss it. I mean, you know, top four is up for grabs this season. Nobody's really staking a particularly credible claim, even though, you know, Tottenham and United have put together a few results recently. I think it's still there for somebody, especially somebody who's only got the league to focus on. So... That that is the tension, really. You know, sticking to your guiding principles and your blueprint that you've created for the squad versus being reactive to the opportunity that is in front of you. And I think that's why a lot of supporters have that sort of pang of regret this morning in the light of the end of the transfer window because they feel like there was a chance there for us to to reach out, and grasp something, and maybe maybe it will now elude us. Yeah, I mean, I mean, sure, having a long-term plan, but if you suddenly see an opportunity, and it, and it's also the fact that at the end of this um, year, players contract there'll, there'll be players, you know, key players like Martinelli and Saka would only have a couple of years left. Adrian, um, you don't want to lose them for for well, but essentially lack of ambition. No, I mean, qualification for the Champions League would be a game changer, wouldn't it, in terms of tying down our, our prize assets? That would be the right time to go to those guys and say, look, stick, do you want to stick around or not? And I think the answer would be yes, if you're in the Champions League. If you're not, then that, that there is a, you know, a slight question mark there, potentially. Um, hopefully not, in, in both of those players' cases. It also gives you a, a, a larger pool of players to choose from, in the summer, doesn't it, if Arsenal grab top four? If you look at the other contenders for top four, Manchester United are arguably weaker. West Ham massively missed an opportunity to, to bring in a striker. They were flexing their muscles. There was talk of a lot of bids, but they didn't get any over the line. Spurs lost players, but also brought some in. So who knows whether they're stronger or weaker moving forward. So in one sense, we got away with it in terms of it's a level playing field as you were. But but there's a part of me that thinks what what an opportunity to to steal a march on those clubs by bringing in somebody this month. But but yeah, the the plan is the plan, and, and I'm not against that long term plan. But as we've seen with long term plans in in the past, they don't always come to fruition. They don't always work out the way that you want. I know Arsene Wenger had had grand plans for the English core. He had grand plans pre prior to that with with the younger players that in in that Bentner era. Yeah. Where, where we had so much talent, so much promise, and that was the way we were going to go. And eventually it didn't lead to any silverware, did it? So we ripped that up and, and went for more established players. So will we see this one out? And, and will, will, will this plan lead us to the, to the place that we want to be? I, I think it's got a chance, but, but yeah, it's, nothing is guaranteed. 
Can I put this to both of you guys? Uh, Chris Crocker is a guy who follows me on Twitter, uh, Guna. He said, the lack of a marquee or indeed any signing is a sign of diminishment in the trust in Arteta. And now the board are essentially saying, make top form, we'll give you more money. And if not, we'll move you on and get Patrick Vieira in as the new manager. Uh, James, do you think there's any truth in that? I don't, actually, I have to say. I think that if they... I think that in moving Aubameyang on, that is quite a big indicator of trust in Mikel Arteta because ultimately it's an issue between player and manager and they've absolutely backed the manager over a player who is of very high status, great experience, is on big money. I think that is testament to the faith they have in the manager. I think in a way his willingness or his uh, the fact that they haven't brought anybody in as well uh, and I imagine when he, I imagine he would have liked somebody, but the fact that he is sort of prepared to wait until the summer tells me that he thinks he's going to be here and he's going to see the benefit of that. So I, I don't see these events as indicative of a loss of faith in Arteta. If anything, I, I get the sense that his authority within the club continues to grow. And, and I think you can debate whether that is a, a good or a bad thing. I think Arsenal are... are coming round to a situation which they spent a long time trying to get away from where the club is kind of uh, led by one very influential figure and increasingly I'm of the opinion that that is Mikel Arteta. Uh, Yeah, well, let's just ask that question then, James. Do you think this squad will get us into Europe? Do you think you'll get top six with this squad? I do, yeah. I do think Arsenal will get into the top six. If you ask me to say now, I don't think this squad will get into the top four. Um, I think if we'd got a new centre-forward of the calibre of some of the ones we're talking about, I'd say we'd have a decent shot. I think now I probably... I I don't think we were ever favourites. And I think we're especially not, uh, given the the lack of additions. But I I see no reason why Arsenal uh, should not finish in the top six. You know, West Ham, as Adrian mentioned, haven't added the striker. They really needed to take the heat off Antonio. Um, the Wolves game will be interesting. That will tell us a little bit about now. where we are in relation to them. Yeah. Spurs have added players, but they really wanted a right wing back. Didn't get one. It's a really important player in Conte's system. And United, you know, arguably come out a bit weaker. So it is still all to play for. We can get top four. But if you want my prediction, I would say I think we'll be top six, but not top four. Adrian? Uh, yeah, I am in agreement, unfortunately, because, yeah, I think top four, we're underdogs. No doubt about that. Um but but this this group of players has to finish in Europe, doesn't it? From from our point of view, you want to see progress, tangible progress. And even though I think we can all see that the team has improved this season, getting into Europe is 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 the minimum, you know, sign of progress. I think um, that you can gauge. So so yes, I think we'll finish fifth or sixth. This it would be my prediction. I have looked at the run-ins and. I know it's a you know dangerous thing to do. It's it's all guesswork. It, no, but it is all guess. It is all guesswork, and and anything can happen. Doesn't look too bad though, does it? No, well, it doesn't look as good as Tottenham's or or West Ham's. Um, statistically, the teams we faced already have been easier, or the fixtures we faced already have been significantly easier than the fixtures that we have to come on paper, based on results this season so far. For Spurs, it's the opposite. For West Ham, it's just about the opposite as well. And, and, and Manchester United have quite a tough run in. But you, you, you think, well, if Manchester United are sitting in fourth, given 
how bad they've been, given how much turmoil they've had behind the scenes, then then you you have to expect them to to improve in the second half of the season. So so I think we're up against it for top four, unfortunately. But but we have to finish ahead of, of ahead of West Ham. This squad should finish ahead of West Ham, and if and if we don't. Then, then that would would mean that this season is a huge disappointment because obviously there's no there's no cup trophy either. No. Uh, all right, let's have a song uh, to finish. James, I'm going to come to you first because I know Adrian finds this painful. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it was difficult today to think of something that quite uh, sort of captured the mood. I, I I was thinking of a Bamiang and I couldn't help but wonder if. Uh, you know, an apology one way or the other might have stopped all this coming to a head in the in the fashion that it did. So I went for a song by Timberland called Too Late to Apologise. <laughs> Mate, if he's listening, I'm sure he's just going to... Yes, James, yes. Uh, what about you, Adrian? <laughs> yeah, I'm so conflicted because I did really... I really like Aubameyang as a player, but, but given the situation... And I think given his state of mind as well with the relationship that, that you know, that clearly soured, he, he had to go. And and I think he'd moved on mentally in his own head ahead of the deadline day, that's for sure. I think the holiday in Barcelona t- tells you that. So, yeah, the, the one I've, I've picked is a Green Day song. The, the title's harsh because I don't feel... I don't feel like I want to say good riddance, but that's the name of the title with brackets, time of your life. Um, if you know that, If you know the song... It's a song about moving on, really, and it, it, there's a line in it. In the end, it's right. I hope you had the time of your life. And, and I think that strikes a chord with me. Um, it was good while it lasted, but we can't live in the past. We have to move on. Aubameyang has already. He's taken a big pay cut to go and play for Barcelona to fulfil an ambition. We just have to move on now. So, yeah, that, that's the song for me. Yeah, uh, I mean, I'm taking a Gunas on, really. Uh, I'm having Curtis Mayfield move on up because, you know, I sort of feel like this is what we have to do now. Look forward and look to the future. And, you know, with our squad of 15, <laughs> hope that we can... Um, hope, I'll tell you what, Adrian, get take your shirt along to games, mate. You might get oh, you might mate. be on the bench if things uh, don't no, work absolutely out. Absolutely no chance, yeah. But we are, we're leaner and meaner, aren't we, coming into the second half of the season. We, we just got to trust these boys to, to see it through. Not going to be easy. Trust the process is what you're saying. That's how we finished the pod. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, trust the process. Uh, That has been Handbrake Off, uh, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Thank you to James and Adrian. And thank you to Abby, our producer. I'm Ian Stone. Uh, See you back here next week. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.